Again, grateful to be back with you today. I always get excited when Bob asks me to teach um, on Pastor's Bible Study. When he came to me in December, I wasn't quite back from maternity leave, but he said, I want to get you on the calendar for the spring um, to teach Pastor's Bible Study. So I said, great, what's the, what's the topic? He said, the Psalms of David, and I know you had gone through um, studying David in the fall. And so I said, well, what, what are the Psalms that you're giving me? And he said, you pick. And so I said, whoa, okay. So he gave me the list of the ones he was doing. He said, you can't pick any of those, but any of the other Psalms of David, you are welcome to pick. So starting in December, I started praying about what God might lead me to teach about today. And um, it was an interesting journey to come to Psalm 12 and 13. These are Psalms of lament. And you might be thinking, wow, in this season of your life of having two precious gorgeous young young kids and new life and new growth, why would we be talking about lament? But lament is something that we all experience and we all um, are called to do. Lament, we'll talk a lot about what lament means. But these two Psalms, Psalm 12 and 13, hit very close to home for me as we sit in the dark nights awake going, why God? Am I having to do this right now? Why, God, is he not sleeping? Why, God, are we having the flu or whatever we're dealing with? Why, God, are, are we in the middle of this very trying season? Now, David's cries in these psalms are much more um, intense than what I'm experiencing. But lament is something that is very um, interesting and powerful. You know, I'm in a pastor's early career cohort of a group of pastors from across the country, 16 of us. All of us were in the first 10 years of our pastoral ministries, and we met together recently in February, and our theme was lament. And it was so fitting that as I was preparing for this Bible study, we studied all the different biblical laments, and we talked about writing our own lament. We got the, the chance to do that and share it in front of everybody. And it was such a good practice to connect with God intimately. So today we're going to look at how David laments both communally and personally to God. Um, as we begin to look at Psalm 12 and 13, I'm going to read them in their entirety together as we begin. And then we're going to break them down and look more specifically at the details of things. So feel free to turn to Psalm 12. We're going to start with verse 1, and I'm going to read all the way through the end of Psalm 13. It is a good chunk of scripture, so just bear with me, but please feel free to read along. Hear the word of the Lord. Save, O Lord, for the godly one is gone, for the faithful have vanished from among the children of man. Everyone utters lies to his neighbor. With flattering lips and a double heart they speak. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips, the tongue that makes great boasts, those who say, with our tongue we will prevail. Our lips are with us. Who is master over us? Because the poor are plundered, because the needy groan, I will now arise, says the Lord. I will place him in the safety for which he longs. The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. You, O Lord, will keep them. You will guard us from this generation forever. On every side the wicked prowl, as vileness is exalted among the children of man. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? 
How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death, lest my enemy say I have prevailed over him, lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So as we begin, let's talk about what is a lament. We've read through these two, these two psalms, and we're going to talk about what is a lament. When we talk about lament, there's a couple of ways that it is described. In the dictionary definition of a lament, it's a passionate expression of grief or sorrow. When we hit the bottommost pit and we're in such a mess, we cry out in lament, why am I here? This is awful. I'm in a terrible spot. Sorrow, grief, and we cry out. A passionate expression. Lament is not just, I'm upset, but it's a heartfelt emotional response to the circumstances of the human condition. That's the next uh, description. My Fuller Formation Group describes it this way. A prayerful response to the full range of problems in the human condition from physical ailments to emotional burdens to spiritual angst. It's a sorrowful cry to God. And the key word here is prayerful, a prayerful response. It's acknowledging what's going on horizontally in our world, acknowledging all of the junk of this dark, broken world, and then looking vertically to say, why are we going through this, God? It's not just lamenting to one another, but lamenting to God is praying even in our angst to the Lord. And we see in these passages some pretty visceral language of angst and sorrow. This lamenting is an opportunity to grow in intimacy with God. When we turn to God in prayer, even when we're mad, even when we're upset with God, that's an opportunity to connect with our Creator. It's okay to be mad at God. A lot of people think about lament and they're like, ooh, but as Christians, aren't we supposed to be happy and grateful and joyful in the Lord? Yes, all of those things are true. But we know that we go through hard stuff and we know that God is with us. He created us as emotional humans, as people that express ourselves emotionally and spiritually and physically. And so God wants us to come to him in sorrow and grief. Our temptation a lot of times is when we're going through a hard time to turn away from God and kind of figure it out on our own. But God is beckoning us toward him to say, no, cry out to me. Cry out to me your sorrow and your grief. Um, a lot of the folks in my, my pastor's cohort, as we were writing our own laments, were like, I, you know, I don't really have a lot going on in my life. I haven't really had a hard season or a hard time. I've not lost any loved ones. Again, these are young pastors, so a little naive maybe, um, but kind of talking about, yeah, I don't think really I need to, to write a lament. But as we walked through the week together and we started to write notes and remember these, these psalms and um, biblical laments, all of a sudden people started realizing 
Oh yeah, there's a lot to be sorrowful about. Even if it's not personal, look at our nation, right? The communal lament of, our na of us upon, for, on behalf of our nation. We can be in sorrow about the way that it seems the world is going. God is asking us to cry out to him. He's pleased to hear from us. He is pleased to engage with us, even when we're angry. Even when we said, why, God, why are you doing this? He knows us. He knows us. When we cry out to God, we're opening those lines of communication. And like Lent, here we are in the Lenten season, what a perfect opportunity and time to study these passages. We, are re we recognize our mortality. We recognize our sinfulness. We recognize that we are not God and we need God. And in a lament, we are crying out to God in need that we are lacking without God. Lamenting is biblical. All through the scriptures we see lament. The entire book of um, Lamentations, for one, but Job laments, many of the prophets lament. Why am I in this, why do I have to, why am I called to this duty to profess these things? Um, lot, 60 of the 150 Psalms are actually laments. That's a lot of crying out to God. That's a lot of pain when we read through our Bible. But the Bible gives us a great way to express our own lament. It gives us a structure for how to come to God in anger. Um, we don't avoid lament. The Bible does not avoid sorrow. But God redeems it all, and we'll see a lot of that in these passages. When we're in pain or trouble, we should turn to God. And when we feel the burdens, God can listen to us. So let's talk about a, the structure of a lament. And both of these passages follow this same structure. So as you look deeply into them, you'll see. Um, first of all, this, the structure begins with an opening address. Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord, my God. Who are we talking to? We're talking to God. These biblical laments are laments to the Father, to, to the Lord. Um, we address God in our pain, and it's usually a very dramatic. It's save, O Lord, is the beginning of chapter 12, or Psalm 12, 13. How long, O Lord? You can just hear in the, vo in the, in the narrative, the voice, the kind of pain already coming out in the, in the opening address. Again, intimately connected, acknowledging the name of the one who can save. And then following the opening address, we have the protest. What's wrong? There's a problem. We come to God with the problem. We cry out about the things in our world, whether they're personal, individual, or communal, as a nation, as a country, as a church, um, as a group of people. Um, things that are happening in our lives that are not in line with God's promises. God, you promised this, but what I see in this world is not equal to what you've promised. Why, God? If you've promised this, then why are you letting these things happen? It's the whole age-old question of why do bad things happen to good people, right? We're followers of God. This shouldn't happen. You've promised us freedom and redemption in Christ, but we're stuck in this broken world. Why, God, do we have to witness all of this? Crying out, there's a problem. And there's three different ways that we can protest um, that are typical in biblical laments. The first one is trouble with God. God, you let my loved one die. Why? I'm mad at you. Why would you let my loved one leave this earth too soon? 
in our eyes, right? We're upset with God. Why, why did I lose my job, God? I thought you cared about me. I thought you provided for me. You promised to provide for me. Why did I lose my job? We're upset with God, and that's okay. It's okay because we acknowledge that we're, we're upset. That doesn't mean that God's going to leave us. That doesn't mean that God is not good, but that's our own human way of saying, I'm upset with you. It's like my three-year-old, right? She loves me. She cares for me. She knows that I'm her mama and that I'm going to care for her no matter what, but sometimes she's not very happy with me, and she screams and cries and yells. In fact, the entire way to school today for 25 minutes, she screamed and cried. I almost recorded a video to show you guys because I didn't think you'd believe me, but seriously, she was so mad because I didn't give her a snack after she ate a full breakfast. <laughs> oh, and we cry out. That doesn't mean she doesn't love me. And just like with God, we cry out to God. We're angry with God. That doesn't mean we don't love God. That doesn't mean we don't want a relationship with God. That doesn't mean we don't trust God's promises. Cora still trusts Mama to do what's best for her. But she's still mad at me. She's going to let me know that. And so we should. We should let God know when we're upset. Again, that's connecting with God. That's intimate connection. So trouble with God. What's the matter? Protest. Trouble with self. When we're so put up with ourselves, we're just done with it. Why do I keep doing this? It's like, Paul, why do I keep doing the things that I should not do? I know that I should not do them. Why do we keep getting stuck? I'm, ugh, I fell off the wagon again. I wasn't going to eat that brownie, but I did. <laughs> or I, I, I yelled at my child again, and I really keep trying not to do that. I am so sinful. I'm so mad at myself. I'm stuck in this despair of this spiral, and we'll talk about the spiral of despair. The effect that our emotions have on us, the anxiety that we carry, the sinfulness that we carry. Again, Lent is a good time to look in that mirror and look at our sinfulness and say, whoa, I am sinful. I'm mad that I'm sinful. I wish that I could break free of this sinful nature. Again, we turn to God. I need God. I'm sinful. I need God. I'm mad at God. I'm mad at myself. I'm having trouble. And I'm stuck in this spiral. Cry out to God. And then finally, trouble with others. Something else is going on. There's an enemy outside of ourselves that we're, we're struggling with, we're fighting with, we're at odds with. Often you'll see the trouble with others come out in the communal laments. Again, as a nation, what's happening to us as a nation, what's happening to us as a people, but also individually. The enemy is after me. I'm being attacked on every side. I cannot seem to find refuge. An enemy is causing me strife and frustration. Why, God? These are three of the ways that we protest to God and lament, and we'll see these in our scriptures today. And then after we protest, we got to say what it is. We got to say why we're mad. When we, when, we, when we come to God in lament, we express, why are we so upset here? Why are we in so much sorrow and grief? And then we ask for help, the petition. This is the point where it turns. It's, woe is me, I'm so sad, I hate this, I'm upset, please help. It's like almost we got to get it all out there first. And then we kind of calm down and we say, okay, here's where I need help. Here's where, God, I'm asking you to step in. 
to show up. Help, please help. Intervention, God, come and intervene in this problem. And after that, we ask for that. We might not see that answer immediately. We might not see God respond instantly. In fact, often we don't. In some of these scriptures, we do see God's response immediately. It's the cry out for help, and then it's God saying, I'm here, I'm responding. We'll see that in chapter 12. But chapter 13, we don't necessarily see. Actually, we'd see it in both. Um, But not always do we see God immediately respond. But when we ask for help, we know that God is there. And then finally, we praise. We renew our trust in God. We're angry. We're upset. We ask for help. Oftentimes, God responds. And then we say, yes, that's right. You are God. And we praise God. So this is the typical um, typical structure. Not all of them follow this way, but this is typically how we, how we work through um, a lament. So we're going to turn to Psalm 12. So we're going to look specifically at this first, first lament, which is a communal lament. David writes this on behalf of a group of people. Um, the difference between communal and individual, which I've sort of touched on, is that communal laments, again, are kind of a corporate thing, like as if First Presbyterian Church were to get get together and say, we are so mad, God, that we have had to go through this season of blank, or why, God, have you sent us through this? Again, it's an us, it's a corporate thing, Um, versus the individual, which is Psalm 13, which is David's personal pleas, his personal strife. So I I want you to recognize the difference in that. Um, So chapter 12 is um, just the sorrow for the travails of the nation, petitioning God on behalf of the whole group. Why is this happening to us? Why is this happening to us? And And it opens with, save, O Lord, for the godly one is gone. It's pretty dramatic language, isn't it? The godly one is gone. Is there not one godly left? That's pretty dramatic language. For the faithful have vanished from among the children of man. Vanished. They've disappeared. There is no more who are faithful. Trouble with others. We immediately see that David is crying out that he's having trouble with the people that are no longer godly, that are no longer faithful, that they vanish. So he's having trouble with others and he's crying out to God. Acknowledgement that godliness and faithfulness are gone among the, quote, children of man. Frustration that people are living as hypocrites. We see in verse 2, everyone utters lies to his neighbor. With flattering lips and a double heart they speak. That's the biblical definition of hypocrisy, a double heart. Flattering lips, saying one thing but doing another. Lying, using their mouths inappropriately. And we see that David and others are frustrated. They are being harmful, these people. It could be that David saw around him people that were gossiping and lying. Possibly when he was in the court of King Saul, and there there might have been whispers of those who were opposing David. They might have been telling him to his face, yeah, yeah, we're supporting you, but not really. Or acting, saying one thing and acting a whole other way and David was just put up with this. He was just done with it. None of these people are godly. They're vanished. They're no longer faithful. They're not trusting you, the Lord. I'm frustrated with them. 
this harmful behavior. And this harmful behavior, not only that David was experiencing, but also it was being used to oppress the poor and the needy. And David was not going to stand for that. He was not happy about that. We see in verse 5, because the poor are plundered, because the needy groan. In verse 3, may the Lord cut off all flattering lips. So we see this protest, which is, here's what's happening. The godly are gone. They're hypocrites. They're liars. They're using their, their words harmfully. They're oppressing the poor and the needy because of this. David despised the pride of these people. They, were, they would say things like, our tongue, we will prevail. Our lips are, who are with us. Who is master over us? Again, this pridefulness. We don't need God. We've got it all together. So David is expressing the full weight of this to God. And he asks the Lord, verse 3, May the Lord cut off all flattering lips. He's giving a very specific petition to the Lord. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips. When we ask God to step in, when we ask God for help, we should be specific. David is specific. He knows exactly what he needs from the Lord. He knows exactly what he thinks he needs, let's say, in order to calm the issues going on. May the Lord cut off flattering lips. What is it in your life when you lament, I'm so angry about this. Well, so what? What do you want to, God to do? What could God do beyond what you could imagine? Go ahead and ask God for the unexpected. Dave Peterson was the senior pastor at Memorial Drive Presbyterian Church all the years that I was growing up there and a strong mentor of mine. And um, I loved to hear him preach. And every service, at the end of the service, his benediction went like this. Expect always the unexpected, anticipating miracles, knowing that with God, all things are possible. So why wouldn't we expect the unexpected? Why wouldn't we ask God for more than we can imagine? David here is saying, may the Lord cut off all unflattering lips. Do we think that God is actually going to cut off all unflattering lips? Probably not. But we're going to ask specifically, and we're going to see what God can do in that so that the poor and needy will be free. He wants justice and righteousness. He wants to punish the liars and the hypocrites. Now again, God's not always going to do exactly as we ask, right? We know that. We know that God already knows what's, he's omniscient, he's omnipresent, he already knows what's going to happen, but he still wants us to come to him and ask for help. Protect the poor and needy. Please, God, just do something about this situation. And I liken this to how the world we live in, right? We watch the news. I mean, even this coronavirus epidemic, I can't help but address it today to say we cannot live in fear, right? We follow a God of life and hope, not a God of fear. But we can cry out to God, why God? Why God are we exposed to this potential epidemic, you know? I mean, we, we can look at the newspaper and read the news and watch the news and we can just lament about the world and the pain and the suffering that we feel and experience. And we can ask God specifically to intervene. Please, God, save us. 
please God, intervene. Why God? So God's response we see in verses 5 and 6. Verses 5, verse 5, I will now arise, says the Lord. I will place him in the safety for which he longs. That is, he's referring to the poor and the needy. I will protect the poor and needy. I will place him in the safety for which he belongs. And then he goes on in verse 6. The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. So not only is God saying, I hear you, I will arise, I will place him in the safety but he's also giving, he's describing himself. The words of the Lord are pure words, which is in stark contrast to verse 2, or for, to verse 3. The flattering lips, the utter lies, the double heart they speak. This comparison, this contrast between the words and the mouths of the people and the words and the mouths, the words and the mouth of the Lord. And we have to see that difference because that helps us to remember that God is not stuck in the same place that we are, that God is not a human like we are. God is divine. And so when we recognize, oh, that's right, even though all of these people are liars, they're hypocrites, they're awful, but God isn't. That's right. His words are pure. It's not all lost. It's not all corrupt. We don't just throw our hands up and say, forget it. We're over it. Because remember that the Lord's words are pure. This is part of the lament, right? It's the, ah, crying out to God. It's the help, help, help. And then it's the, oh, that's right. Remembering God's promises. Remembering the truth about who God is. When we see the coronavirus, remembering the truth of who God is. When we see the politics, remembering the truth of who God is. Remembering the truth that God is God, that we are not. Praise the Lord. God is actually good. So after God's response here, you see in 7, David says, You, O Lord, will keep them. He's recognizing that, yes, the poor and the needy are oppressed. I am mad that these poor and needy are oppressed by these liars and flatterers. But, oh, that's right, you will keep them. Thank you, Lord. You will keep them. You will guard us from this generation forever. He's renewing his trust in the Lord. He was angry. He cried out. But he renewed his trust in the Lord and remembered the promises of the Lord. We have to remember the promises of the Lord. Coming back around, it's a full circle. We're angry, we, we protest, we petition, we come back around to praise and renew our trust in the Lord. That's how a lament works. It's cathartic, right? We get it out there. When we hold it all in, we burst at the seams and finally we lay it at the feet of the Lord and we see that the Lord is faithful. So as we move into Psalm 13, we see that it shifts now to David's personal individual lament. David, this, this context, it's possible that this psalm was written when David was being pursued by, Paul, by Saul. Um, and David would have had a lot of time on his hands. He was holed up, possibly, out in the desolate wilderness of Judah. Um, 
he was waiting on God and it felt like forever. Have you ever waited on God? Asking for something, waiting for healing or waiting for an answer or just waiting for God to show up. That's our human nature, right? God's always there. But we think, God, come on, show up, God. Um, he, the, the days, the hours, the weeks, the months dragged on as David waited for God to act. And it seems like God moved so slowly. So David cries out, how long, O Lord? How long, O Lord? Will you forget me forever? That's his opening address. How long, O Lord? No, hey God, just wanting to check in real quick. We love you so much, but why are you doing this? He starts out with a negative. How long, O Lord? He's not happy. It's clear that he's been struggling. It's been going on for a long time. It's been going on for long enough that he has to ask how long. He's gotten to the end of his rope. He's been patient. And now he's like, no, I'm not happy. How long, oh Lord, will you forget me forever? How often does it feel like God has forgotten us? That we're alone, we're abandoned, that God has turned his face from us and said, in fact, the next part of verse one, how long will you hide your face from me? That God has abandoned us. In this passage, we see the protest that David gives encompasses all three of what we talked about before. Trouble with God. God, why have you left me? This is the first part of his protest. Why have you turned your face from me? When we talk about hiding someone's face, when you face someone, you're, you're engaging, you're loving, you're present with them. When you turn from them, it implies rejection, right? When I turn around from my screaming daughter who's throwing a fit on the floor, I'm, I'm going to go and ignore you for a minute. I'm going to come back and turn my face to you again. But for a moment, I'm going to ignore you. And maybe that's how David felt, right? You've turned your back on me. You've ignored me. I'm going through all this. I'm waiting for you. You promised. Where are you? So he's having some trouble with God here. He's feeling abandoned. When we feel abandoned by God, why do we hesitate? to go to God and ask him to pay attention to us. When we feel alone and deserted by God, why do we just, well, God's not around. Why don't we go to him and ask him, why are you gone from me? Why does it feel that you're gone from me? Please turn your face toward me. And that's what David does. When we feel abandoned by God, we often hide away and rely on our own control or our own self-sufficiency. We're afraid to ask God to look at us. Maybe we aren't important enough. Maybe we feel like this problem in comparison to the whole world is too small for God to care about. So we don't ask him to turn his face on us. But that is what David is doing here. Why have you turned away from me? Why have you hidden your face from me? How long will you turn from me? So trouble with God. Then we see he's got some trouble with himself in verse two. How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? He's in anguish. He's torturing himself in this sorrowful weight and he's doing that spiral. A lot of media right now, a lot of stuff going on is talking about mental illness and anxiety, the struggles that our teenagers are going through. We need to be praying for our young people as they're stuck in the spiral of despair. And they don't 
always see the light of hope. This is the light of hope. Jesus is the light of hope. But we get stuck sometimes. Our humanity gets stuck in the spiral of darkness and despair. And we go, poor me, poor me. It's too hard. And it is hard. I don't want to brush over the fact that what our teens and what we go through is not difficult. It is. We're mired in the mess. And we feel like there's no hope. My mom used to say the phrase, um, uh, and now I'm forgetting it, um, I'm just going to go eat worms, right? Everything's horrible. I'm going to go eat worms. In fact, this was one of my favorite books growing up, Alexander and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day. Do you remember this book? Everything was wrong. It was the spiral of despair, and then I woke up, and the gum was in my hair, and it was just one thing after another after another, and just the spiral of despair, and how often do we get caught in that spiral, we can't be free from it. And the problem is nowadays we're turning to our social media to see that everybody else is happy and wonderful and we're stuck in that spiral. We're in the darkness, but everyone else is having a great life. They're in the light. I want to be in that light, but I don't see how to get out of this despair. David is stuck in the spiral of despair. He knows God's truth, but we get stuck in the lies that the devil tells us. That's anxiety right there. That's depression right there. And sometimes it's chemical and needs medication, but sometimes we just need the hope of Christ. Well, always we need the hope of Christ. I struggle with this ex exceptionally. I am an, I don't know if you've ever heard of the Enneagram. If not, you can go home and research it. Enneagram, it starts with an E. And they, it's like a number system, one through nine, and it's a kind of a personality diagnostic, okay? So the Enneagram one, which is the number that I am, is the perfectionist. And the perfectionist has what's called the inner critic that lives inside of their heads forever and ever. And the inner critic has taken up residence inside of my head and loves to tell me what I'm doing wrong all the time it's lies that is not from the Lord and I have to really concentrate on saying what is the truth from the Lord David is spiraling how long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day he's in a deep pit and he needs help Martin Luther has this great quote, and he says, The stance of this prayer is the state which hope despairs, and yet despair hopes at the same time. How can we be in that place where we are just at the end of our rope, but we know that there is hope? We know that there is hope. And then, finally, he has trouble, David, with others. So he's had trouble with God, trouble with himself, and now at the end of verse 2, the second part of verse 2, how long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Oh, that's right. There's also enemies pursuing against me, frustrating me, angering me, pushing me from all sides. Not only am I upset with God's left me, I'm stuck in my own spiral of despair, and these enemies are after me. He really is having the terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day, right? Gosh, how long will the enemy be exalted over me? So he's being very specific in his protest. Here's what I'm upset about. Here is why I'm angry. Here's why I'm sad. Here's why I'm grieving. And for us, it might be, I am so sad that I lost my loved one. Or I cannot believe God 
that I was diagnosed with that disease. Why me? Those are specific cries, protests to God. And we must come to God with those things. So finally in verse 3, here's his petition. Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Consider and answer me. He's asking for God to turn his face. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Turn back towards me. Consider me. Turn your face toward me and light up my eyes. Pulling him out of the darkness of pain, pulling him out of that spiral, light up my eyes so that I might see what you see. Sometimes we don't even know what to pray for, but we want to see what God sees. And sometimes when we're stuck in our own junk, we can't see what God sees. 1 John 1, one of my favorite, favorite passages, talks about the light. Let me turn to it. I should have marked it here. But I'm going to open it. 1 John 1. This is the true light. Okay, first John 1. This, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie. We lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we walk in the darkness, let us not stay in the darkness. Let us walk in the light. Light up my eyes, David says. Light up my lives, my eyes. When our relationship with God is restored because of Christ Jesus, our eyes are lit. We are restored and we see the way that God sees. Light is life. It's the opposite of death. It's the opposite of darkness. And he's saying, so that I will not sleep the sleep of death. Save me. Light up my eyes. And in verse 4, lest my enemy say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. Don't let that happen. All of this so that the enemies might be conquered. He's being very specific. Consider me. Answer me. Light up my eyes so that my enemies might be conquered so that they won't say that, I, that they've prevailed, so that they won't say that they will rejoice because he's shaken. So here's the crux of the passage. Here's the turn. Verse 5, my favorite part. But, anytime you see a but in Scripture, we look closely. But, here's a shift. But, I have trusted in your steadfast love. We have had the terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. We've spiraled down all the way to the depths. We've trouble with God, trouble with others, trouble with ourselves. But, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. There's the shift. We need to lament as people of God. We need to cry out to God. But we cannot stay there. We must renew our trust in the Lord. When we stay in the lament, when we are stuck in the lament, then that can be a dangerous cycle and spiral. But when we turn and we say, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. It has been horrible, awful, no good, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. He speaks in the past tense here. I have trusted Meaning, in the past, I trusted because I know you were, you were faithful to your promises. In the past, you showed up over and over again. 
Sometimes we have to remind ourselves, oh yeah, we got through it before. That's right, that's right. We got through it before. We know we're going to get through it again. God has been faithful in the past. Okay, right, we're going to get through it again. Sometimes we can't have hope in the future because we don't know the future, but we can have hope of what God has done in the past. I remember my mom, many of you know that my, my mom was a pastor here years ago, and I remember when my dad died when I was five years old from colon cancer. She would wake up and she would cry and cry and cry and she would cry and cry and cry. And she would always say, I wonder when the day will come that I will no longer cry. And soon enough, each new day, there were days that she would get through the day and go, I didn't cry today. God got me through that very, very hard time. I know he can do it again. So when we come up to those woes, when we come up to that sorrow and that grief, when we look back at the way that God has brought us through in the past, we can have hope that he will do it again. If I made it through that, my mom still says this, if I can make it through that, I can make it through anything with God, right? And that's the hard part about our teenagers. They haven't lived long enough to know that God's going to bring them through even the hardest stuff. And we have to remind them, hold your teenagers close if you've got grandkids or kids, because they need to be reminded that God is going to get you through this. There will be the light of the morning. It's a dark night right now, but there is hope in new mercies tomorrow. Let us share that hope. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. He is reminding himself of God's promises, David is, and he's choosing to rejoice in his salvation. He's choosing. It's a conscious choice. It's a lot easier to have the pity party and be stuck in the mire, right? But when we make the choice to say, but wait, where has God been faithful? And then he says in verse 6, I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. It's hard to sing praise to the Lord when we're struggling. It's hard to come to church and be like, yay. I don't really feel like singing holy, holy, holy because I'm feeling pretty sad, sad, sad. But it's when we start to sing those praises that we get out of our own heads. We remember again that truth. We we forget the lies and the truth reigns in our hearts and in our minds. So he sings to God. He sings because he has dealt bountifully with me. Again, overflowing blessings, overflowing blessings that David has experienced that he can remember as he goes forward. I always like to make a gratitude list, right? We talk a lot about gratitude in November around Thanksgiving, but throughout the year, anytime that we start to get in that spiral of despair, when we get out a pen and paper and we start to say, okay, right, I'm th- I have a home with a roof over my head. I never sleep in a cold street. I have food to eat. I mean, just the basic needs that are met, those are things to be grateful for. It gets us out of that stuckness. A good friend of mine always used to tell me, she had, she had three young kids under the age of four, just boom, 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 right in a row. And she felt like she was kind of stuck in this spiral of, you know, how am I going to live? How am I going to make it? And she always used to say what helped her the most is taking a meal to somebody else. Doing something for somebody else when we're stuck in our own junk helps get us out of that spiral. Making that gratitude list, taking something, serving somebody else, remembering God's bountiful blessings on us, even if they seem silly, recognizing that God actually hasn't turned his face from us. 
felt like it. Felt like a long time in the desert. Felt like a long time alone. But actually, God has been here the whole time, and he will continue to do that in the future. What a powerful passage. Being able to express our angst and our grief and our sorrow to God, being able to express our unrest, don't be afraid to do that. Don't be afraid to write out where it's been hard. Why, what are you struggling with? Why are you upset and angry with God? Don't be afraid to get angry and to say, why God, how long? Come back, turn your face towards me. Because then we remember God's promises. So in your small groups, what I hope for you today is that you can take some time to talk about what would it look like? What would it look like to write a communal lament? As a small group, as a church, as a community, as a neighborhood, whatever it might be, what might it look to come together and put your words together to communally lament to God? We had to do this on our, on our retreat, and my little group that got together to do it, we had a lot of, we had a lot of trouble doing this because we're all coming from different places, right? We all have our own individual stuff that we're dealing with. So to come together and to write something that we all agreed upon was difficult. It was also difficult because the laundry list of things that we were upset about in this nation or in this world or in, in our churches or whatever it might be felt too hard to condense. But as we talked through it, as we wrote through it, we realized that you know once we started with that opening language, oh God, Oh God, it just sort of flowed out of where God was leading us to lament. And we use the scripture to guide us. So what would it look like for you as a group to write a communal lament? Remembering that as you address God, you protest, you're upset, you petition, how can God help? How can you specifically ask God to intervene in that protest, in what you're upset with? And then remembering to praise remembering the truth and putting your trust back in the Lord. And then as you go home, writing your personal lament, write it out. It doesn't have to be shared with anybody. Just get a piece of paper and a pen and start writing about maybe some things that have been heavy on your heart, some griefs, some sorrows, some pains. Why me? We aren't selfish in doing this. Sometimes we think, I don't want to be the whiny you know, the whiny Christian that's always like, why me? I have such a hard thing. Because we do have a lot of that in our, in our nation, right? A lot of people just complaining about their circumstances. And that's not what I'm saying here. That's different. This is truly a personal conversation with the Lord, a personal opportunity to say to the Lord what's been hard, what's been sorrowful, what's been grief in your life. And how do you think after you do this, after you think through this, how would this help you to trust in God's provision even more? After you take a step back and you say, okay, wow, I can't believe all that was inside. I can't believe I looked at that. But look at the end. Look at the part where I said, but. Look at that transition. But I have trusted your steadfast love. Oh, that's right. You've never left me. It's been a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad decade. But you've never left me. Your steadfast love endures forever. What would be at stake for you to be that vulnerable with God? What would you be afraid of losing? What would be the hardest part about that? I want you to think about those things. Talk with somebody about those things. And really read through these scriptures of lament. 
I encourage you to look up others, not just in the Psalms, but all throughout Scripture, of prophet after prophet lamenting to the Lord. Why have you put me in this position? Why do I have to do this hard work? Why is nobody listening to me? You told me, you called me, you gave me the words, but nobody cares. Why? Why is my son struggling with this? Why is my daughter doing this? Why is my, why is my um, father in bad health? Whatever it might be, cry out to God. Let us pray. God, our Father, we have trusted in your steadfast love. We acknowledge that we live in a very, very broken world, that we are stuck in the darkness at times as humans, fallen humans. We see our need for you so clearly, especially in this season of Lent, God, as we look at our mortality, as we look at the way that you've created us, we see that we are limited and that we need you and we need a savior. God, we go through some really hard things on this earth and sometimes it feels like we're not gonna be able to get out of it. But like David, you're calling us to come to you, to express our concern, to protest and to cry out because that means that we are connected intimately with you. When we take the time to come close, in our sorrow and our grief, you remind us of your covenant promises. You remind us that you have never left us. You answer us in our time of need, Lord. You light up our eyes. You remind us to rejoice in our salvation because of Christ Jesus. So Lord, let the Holy Spirit come now onto these groups as they meet together, as they talk through your word Soften our hearts towards you. We've built up walls and barriers. We're supposed to be strong. We're trying hard to live through each moment. But we can crumble at your feet knowing that your grace is sufficient and that there is no way that we can lose our salvation in you. Our salvation is secure. And as you say in Romans 8, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long, regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Thank you, Lord, for this truth. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.